Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a former collegiate athlete, the founder of Dan Horwitz Leadership Consulting, a basketball trainer and coach and entrepreneur. It's Dan Horwitz. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing awesome, Alex. Thank you for having me. And I'm very excited to have a great conversation today. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to learn more about you and your rise to the challenge. First thing we like to do with all of our guests, talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yes, yeah, so I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, and I have a twin brother named Ben, and I love talking about him too. And he and I played all sports growing up together. We played soccer, baseball, basketball, and football. And I think it was just a, a great way for us to do something productive and uh, play with our friends. So our love for sports kind of started at a young age and then had some great coaches as we kind of uh, progressed through our sports uh, career. Was there ever just one sport that you wanted to play or were you guys the type of people that wanted to try anything? Yeah, so we loved all sports. I think growing up, our favorite sport was the one that we were playing. And uh, there was a time where I think we were playing fall baseball and then uh, also football at the same time. And um, our dad got us tickets for the Boston Red Sox Yankees game, which obviously is a big time game. And we were so committed to playing, I think, in our baseball game that day that we chose to go and play in that game. And we actually ended up losing like zero to 14. <laughs> the game ended in like the fourth inning. And we we're like, oh, we should have went to the game. But um, so, so to answer your question, I think we really enjoyed the sport we were playing. But uh, I definitely regret not going to that game as a kid. <laughs> oh, I probably ditched the team. I'm like, sorry, I'm going to the game right now. <laughs> Did you have any motivations or inspirations growing up? Someone that you looked up to or you were trying to like idolize? I would say more so in high school with uh, Kemba Walker. Uh, he plays for the Celtics now, but he was at UConn. And we, we all, a lot of people in Connecticut have named their Huskies. Uh, it's the Connecticut Huskies uh, um, after Kemba. So um, he was a, a big inspiration for me. And my older brother went to UConn. And he was at a party one time and he went up to Kemba and asked if he would talk to me. So it was like two in the morning and my older brother called my mom and woke her up and said like, mom, like Kemba wants to talk to Dan. And she was disoriented and didn't really know what was going on. But he's like, no, like he's really here. He wants to talk to Dan. So my mom woke me up and gave me the phone. And then David uh, was on the other end of the line and said, Kemba wants to talk to you. And so, uh, I was like, okay. And I talked to Kemba and he said, hey, man, I just want to uh, no, just say, uh, keep working hard. Your brother said you're a big UConn fan and I'm really excited to, to, you know, just cheer you on as you move forward. And I think I was in, in high school at that time and that was a really cool experience for me. Um, so to talk to my kind of idol at that time and then he's done great things. And I think the best thing about Kemba is just he's such a good teammate and he makes everyone around him better. And he's always smiling. I said he has a, a million dollar smile. So uh, <laughs> He's definitely a guy I look up to. I mean, that's pretty cool that someone at that level was able to take the time out and call someone at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he could have just been so disrespectful and say, nah, I'm not going to do that. But it kind of just shows the characteristics in that person. And kind of for you on the other side is like, wow, this guy is actually genuine in a way. Yeah, I think you're right. It really added up with what you see on TV and what he's doing. He actually acts that way off the court. Um, I'm curious for you, is there an athlete that you looked up to as a kid as well? So for me at the time, it was Derek Jeter. 
for the Yankees. I was a huge Yankees fan growing up, even though I'm from St. Louis and always been a Cardinals. Then when Derek Jeter left, it's like, no, not caring about the Yankees anymore. But Derek Jeter, I kind of look at what he did off the field in a way. He was so, like, caring, charities, um, great personality. And I think that's what I look at when I look at athletes is what are they like off the field or after the game or something. And when I'm talking to athletes on the show, that is what I look more into because they can all be self-centered on the field, say, I'm only going to care about myself, but the biggest impact that they can help their branding is how they are with actual people. And so Derek Jeter has been that person. Now I can't really say a person. Um, Yeah, I can't think of a person now that would be, I think any player nowadays, I think with social media, it kind of changes their perception away and they're a little bit more careful, but there are those some people that they go a little bit too crazy. (laughs) get their name out there in the wrong way, I would say. Yeah, and to piggyback off what you said, I love the Derek Jeter um, example. Me and my twin brother were at a game, we went really early to the game, uh, trying to get some autographs uh, in the Bronx. And Derek, we were the only two people there because we were so early and Derek Jeter drove in and he, we were waving to him and he's in like, his, his window's a little tinted, but you could still see it was Derek Jeter in this nice black car. And he waved to us, and as he waved back, we both looked behind us and made sure there was nobody else. <laughs> so we knew he waved right to us. So just going off what you said, he's he's obviously a good guy, and saw two young kids that were just really excited to see him. So uh, that's I mean, I'm a Yankees fan as well. So go DJ. <laughs> With your siblings, have you guys always had a close relationship, or did sports really bring that bond together? Um, I think the the bond definitely came around sports. Uh, we, we love to play sports, and uh, I think our older brother, who's five years older, David, he uh, allowed us to play with his friends, so it was always tough for us to compete, you know, playing basketball, but it also challenged us and made us work harder to try to get at their level, and, and really, we had to scrap and, and claw for every, everything we did when we were on the court with those big, strong guys, and uh, so that definitely made us better basketball players, and then to this day, like, we, we go out and we play pickup basketball or football. And um, I would say another game that we made up, I'm not sure if you or anybody listening can relate to it, but we called it lava in our living room. And you put like a pillow on the ground and the ground is lava. And the only way to lose is to push each other off the pillow. <laughs> and so um, I was definitely the smaller of the, of the two other brothers. And so um, I was a little bit quicker, but when they caught me, they could throw me off. So um, that was a little sport we made in our living room. I uh, just jumping on the, you know, the couches and the, and the pillows. And that was really fun as well. <laughs> How did you know basketball was going to be the sport that you were going to pursue for longer terms? I think it was the sport that there was less uh, time in between stoppages. You know, baseball, you kind of wait 20, 30 seconds for a pitch. and football, you wait for the ball to be hiked. Basketball is just pretty much constant, except for shooting fouls and timeouts. So uh, for me, I, I have trouble sitting still and uh, I think that was just a great game for me to really just play and give my all. And I also love the team aspect of basketball, you know, five guys playing as one and then just a, a group full of players on the bench that just want uh, what's best for the, the guys on the court. And uh, yeah, I think basketball has a lot of life lessons as well. So um, I think that's kind of why I chose that. Did you have any challenges, challenges or obstacles that you faced with playing basketball? 
Well, on a good day, uh, I would say I'm five nine with shoes on, and uh, and so that was probably the the first obstacle. But I kind of use that to my advantage. Like when there's a loose ball, I'm probably the closest person to the ground, uh, so I could get that, and I could I could play defense. And when somebody's dribbling the ball, you know, the ball has to come back up, but it's coming up in front of my face. So I definitely use my my height to my advantage, and then. Uh, as I got older, it was tough, but it, it motivated me to get in the weight room. And I believe, um, you know, the lower man wins kind of thing when you're when you're trying to guard somebody and push them back. And then another quote from a family friend, uh, he said that there's two things you can't coach, height and heart. And that's always stuck with me because you can't control how tall you are. But um, if you have a lot of heart and you're willing to give everything you got, you got a chance no matter what you're doing. So. I think I can definitely relate to that as I'm not the tallest person either, but the passion that I have, and I always call myself the wild card gladiator in a way, because you never know what you're going to get out of me when I get onto a court or a field. And I think people are shocked at what I'm able to do. And then they're like, Oh, okay. So I kind of use that. I use that as like a secret weapon. Like you don't have to pick me first, but you're going to regret not picking me. <laughs> but I think, like you said, the heart is definitely an important part and that just keeps you motivated and keeps you going and being able to accomplish anything that you want nothing's going to stop you um look at all the players that are they're not height given but they've made a huge impact in the game and they've motivated younger kids to keep going and playing those sports yeah absolutely i love i love the way you put that what was that dream job that you wanted well, growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a vet, a veterinarian. I loved animals, and my sister, uh, my older sister, she loves animals, and she works at a, a children's museum now where she runs the camps, and, and part of that is, like, bringing out all the animals in the sanctuary. So she and I bonded over that. Um, I would try to catch frogs as a kid, and she would catch the snakes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so for us, um, that was definitely the, the thing I – I love to do was just thinking about animals and trying to help them. And then I realized that as a vet, you'd have to put animals down um, as well if they were in pain and you couldn't help them. So I think that's kind of when I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. But I would say that was my first kind of dream job. And then of course, trying to play in the NBA um, was another one. But uh, you know, things don't always work out the way you wanted, but I think you can still find a lot of positives um, and giving your all and trying to make your dream a reality, even if you don't reach it. So what was that path you were taking in college? What were you pursuing and what did you hope to have after your years at college? I think for me, I, I decided I want to be a college basketball coach as a sophomore in high school. I played for uh, Coach Katie DaCosta in Connecticut, and she's a woman uh, coaching boys. And a lot of people, you know, maybe don't agree with that or think, like, how is she going to do that? And she's the toughest uh, but most caring coach I've ever uh, played for. And she had a very positive impact on me. And uh, we call it Katie shape because the first two weeks of practice, you do not touch a basketball. You have medicine balls and you just run a lot. So, uh, and we did this drill called the weave where you have three people and you run around the other one, but you had to do it with the medicine ball. And then if you drop the ball, you had to do it again. Um, and you also had to score a layup with this heavy five to 10 medicine ball. So, um, you know, so I, I learned work ethic. I learned how to fight through being in pain, uh, being mentally tough from her. And after playing for her, combined with our childhood coach, uh, who I'm still friends with today, when I was 10 to 12, he was just a great guy and really empowered me as a 
basketball player. So those two guys or those two coaches, uh, Coach Chad and Coach Katie, really inspired me. And then uh, I just I when I was researching for what I wanted to do, a lot of the college coaches had played in college uh, or manager. So that was kind of the route I wanted to go. So I made sure that I uh, I reached out to every every school I could. So my recruiting story is I emailed 150 colleges, a lot more than once, and then. 10 replied and three said, uh, three, yeah, so let's say it again. So 150 schools, uh, 10 replied, three watched me play, and then one said yes, which was Newberry College. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up there and I had a really good experience. Was it hard not getting those responses back or at the end of it only having one college saying yes? I believe everything happened for a reason and um, I listened to one of your other podcasts and you talked about being very persistent and you're not going to let it be on you for not reaching out. You're not going to have that regret. And I, I loved when you said that because I'm, I'm the, the king probably of getting people to, to say no to me, but I would much rather get that no than not have tried at all, which I know you can agree with as well. So uh, I think I ended up where I needed to end up and made the most of it. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you have some thoughts as well, just kind of piggybacking off of being persistent and, and trying to go after what you want. Well, before I even found this, or being able to take rejections, I was one of those people that was afraid to even just ask because I'm like, well, I don't want to hear it now. Only thing I want to hear is a yes. But I think as I got older and in the jobs I was, taking a no, they're not saying no to you. Um, especially for my job and even doing the podcast, they're not saying no. They might just be saying no on what I'm offering or the opportunities. And maybe with people at colleges, they're all going through that same thing. They're saying no to just at that moment. Maybe they just don't feel that the, it's the right fit. But you can't let that stop you. You have to keep on going. If you let that no stop for where you're going to go, you're not going to get anywhere in life. So being persistent is definitely a key thing that I always tell people because it's going to get you farther and you're going to get to those goals that you want to reach. I 100% agree. And that's a great mentality to have. And like you said, it's much easier for you and I to say this having went through it, but those first few times doing it, you are really nervous, but I think it's really important to do. If you want something and you're passionate about it, you should go for it and, uh, and don't let anybody you know, stop you from trying to achieve what you want to achieve. Yes. There is also a limit on how much you can talk to someone about it. You can't just every day. Um, yes. No. Yes. I mean, I've never gone that far, but I think there's, a, you know, the limit that you can take with it and you just have to feel it out. Maybe don't strike right away with what you're offering. I know sales pitch is, they see the worst thing. It's like you get a LinkedIn request and they're already pitching something. I don't, I don't know anything about you. You're trying to sit, tell me to buy something. And I know that's been a huge conversation that people are having is they're not building a relationship before they're selling you it. And I think that's what you're doing need to do also is you just got to talk to the person, you know, and then maybe wait a little bit and then go after them for the product. It's hard to, I'm trying to figure out the words I'm trying to yeah. say. <laughs> well, it makes sense. And I agree with the LinkedIn. Like I've gotten requests like that and you're just like, I don't know you, but I think a great way for people that are listening and want to reach out. It's like, find one thing you can connect about. Like, I also have a cousin in Missouri, like, you know, like Alex, you're in Missouri, like now we're something to talk about. You know what I mean? Like I'm in Connecticut. Maybe you've heard that we have the, the Connecticut sun, uh, women's WNBA team here. So like we could talk about that, but finding a connection 
like you said, without asking for something. And then I think people love sharing their story, like you and I were sharing on, on this podcast, but people like talking about their experiences. So if you kind of approach it from, I just want to learn um, approach, I think that really good things can happen. And that's when you can kind of maybe ask for some guidance or ask for something from them. Was basketball your main focus when you were in college, or did you ever find anything else that you felt passionate about? I think, well, I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but my our record was 13 and 87 at Newberry College. So, um, you know, 10-year-old Dan was not, not expecting that, but the guys that I graduated with were very resilient and, and determined to, to make it through those four years. It wasn't always easy, but we did. So I would say my passion, trying to learn from the best teams kind of developed while in college. So we were losing a lot, but we did have a lot of positives within our program, but um, limited resources, like we didn't have our own basketball gym. We had a, so we could only really use it during the season. And um, just other things that, that made it tough, like kids uh, from Boston commuting and they had other jobs. So it was just, it was very tough. Um, a lot of moving parts for our coaching staff to try to work with. So. Um, you know, the record sounds a lot worse than it probably was, but um, I think my passion for just learning and kind of what we just talked about, I reached out to every college in Boston. So Boston College, Boston University, Harvard, Northeastern, and Tufts were like the five big time schools in the area. And they invited me to practice, to workouts, uh, games. So I just sat there and listened and brought my notebook and um, took notes and asked a lot of questions. And I think my, just my passion for trying to be around the game and learn as much as I could kind of developed while being at Newberry. Was there ever the thought about transferring to a different college or you were just going to stick it out until the end? So financially, as you know, a lot of people go through as well. Uh, Newberry wasn't the cheapest school, it was a small uh, private school. So uh, my first day of college, when my mom dropped me off, I, uh, I saw the, the word resident assistant on the door uh, a few doors down from my room. And my mom was like, go talk to that guy. Like you need to do this. And I was like, what is that? Like, I just got to school. Like, <laughs> let me just enjoy this moment. And I found out that being a resident assistant among being a leadership position, it also allowed me to have room and board paid for, which was a lot of money. Um, so I was very fortunate as a sophomore to get that and hold that position for three years. So when you talk about transferring, I think I was going to potentially have to, or being a lot of debt. So that really helped uh, keep me there. And I also think my, my twin brother, he went to Syracuse and we had never been apart with each other for more than a week. So uh, I think initially I wanted to go and try to be a, a manager with him or be a walk-on and probably never play, but just be a part of a great program. But that was also an expensive school too. So that, that didn't really make sense either. And, uh, and yeah, so in terms of transferring, I think the support system, having my mom and dad and siblings just keep encouraging me. Um, I think it's tough when you know, when you win a most, at most four games in a season was our high. So you got to have uh, outside uh, resources and, and people trying to help you uh, stay motivated and positive. From your overall college experience, what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself? It's a great question. I think my ability to get along with anybody, and that's something that I think I get from my dad. He was willing to talk to anybody, never judged a book by, by its cover. Just if somebody was willing to talk with him, he would be more than happy to talk their ear off and probably more than they expected in the beginning when he started talking to them. But we could be at the airport or at the grocery store. Uh, it didn't matter. He would just, you know, just start a conversation with anybody. So I think that 
Um, and then also just growing up with my, my mom also doing very nice things like paying it forward. Like if we're at uh, like a, a convenience store and somebody's a few cents short, she would always try to help out and things like that. So just kind of both of my parents being such good people and, and being uh, very open to learning about others. I think at Newberry being such a, being such a small school, I was able to just say hi and smile to everybody and kind of what we just talked about being persistent. I, there's a lot of times I would be like, Hey Alex. And I wouldn't get a response and that's okay. Like I'm still going to try and smile and maybe it helps you. And most people said hi back to me. So that was a good thing. Um, but yeah, I just say my ability to connect with others, especially from a lot of different, uh, different backgrounds and, and uh, religions and sexual preferences, like all those kind of things. I think just getting to know people um, was really fun for me and something that I learned about myself in college. And I'm curious for you as well, like what uh, you obviously weren't too far from home, um, as you mentioned uh, to me off the air. So what did you learn about yourself um, in your time at, at college? I think I'm the same way with being able to find people and get along with them. I went to a school where it was a huge international base. I mean, it was one of the biggest schools in the United States that gave international scholarships. So you were meeting people all over the world. And I was a part of a fraternity. And I think that gave me the confidence to be able to find people that are complete opposites. And you find something about each other that you have like a connection with. And I'm able to start conversations. And I think that is a huge thing with college is you can find those friends that actually are your friends. And over time, friends come and go because um, you go in different directions. But there's some that I still talk to today. And we look back at the five years when we first met and we're like, wow, look how we've grown up in a way. And I think for me, I never had a problem living on my own because I was very not alone in a way, but act matured for my age. Yeah. And I think it just showed, I was being able to be that mentor to a lot of the students I was with. And some are doing good. Some I'm like, I told you so, but um, it's kind of shown that you can be like a big brother way as I'm an only child. So like these people are like my little brothers. <laughs> so I, tr I don't force it on them, but I tried. But I think college was like the best decision I ever made. And I don't regret anything I do because every experience is a learning experience. That's how I live my life right now. Yeah. And that's nice that you were able to kind of have that mentorship role for the, the siblings that you didn't have and look out for other people. That's awesome. I mean, they probably had some harsh words to like <laughs> in the room or something, but I think one, one of my friends, he had me as like in his phone as like some, not a bad name, but like my name and then other words. And he still has that today because it's like something that we joke about all the time. So I'm not, you can't upset me that bad. I mean, you just have to do something very bad. <laughs> so after college, when you graduated, what was next for you? What were you, what path were you on? Yeah, so it was still along the path of college basketball coach. And so I went back home to West Hartford, Connecticut, and I had a few jobs. So I was a volunteer assistant at Trinity College, which is in the NESCAC for um, the Division Three, and one of the, arguably the best conference um, for competitiveness for basketball and just for academics. So I was a volunteer there, and then I was a substitute teacher for pre-K um, through high school 
uh, did a lot of gym class and got a lot of crazy stories of just you know, trying to explain you know, playing a, a game of tag to preschoolers and they're all looking at you with uh, you know big eyes and I think they know exactly what I'm saying and the second I say go they just run in every opposite direction and have no idea what's going on so uh, I learned how to kind of uh, become a better coach and, and communicator from uh, my substitute teaching experience and then I also did basketball training as well which I do now for a lot of the local kids and uh, just try to help them get better which is very uh, rewarding for me because I think if you just take some time to work with a kid and instill confidence in them at a young age they they really enjoy working on their game on their own so um, those were kind of the three things that I did when I came home and then I did that for two years and then moved to Mount St. Mary College in Newburgh New York where I was the only assistant and recruiting and scouting and player development um, and just a lot of different things that made me a much better coach um, as I transitioned out of that um, that was a little tough but then I started my own leadership consulting company um, so that kind of has been like my passion and, and putting that competitive spirit into that with the changes in different places that you're going with coaching and camps that you worked were you always trying to look for what's next? Like what's the next opportunity? Or did you wish that you could stay at a place for a long period of time? Yeah, so uh, working the camps, uh, that was with my twin brother, Ben. So we, we really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of, it was a great way to meet the coaching staffs at these big time schools like UConn. Uh, he was at Syracuse, but we worked that camp. Um, and then we did, yeah, we did Providence and Boston College and we did a Harvard uh, elite camp, which was really cool. So I think for us, it was getting to kind of experience what that level was like and talk to some of those coaches. But it was really cool because he and I are very similar and just like you, just genuine people and try to learn from others. So when we're coaching these kids and we're playing against other coaches, like you communicate with them because um, you're usually kind of keeping score and, uh, and calling fouls. So uh, we'd get to connect with a lot of people and just learn from them. And a lot of them are coaching now, we're doing great things. So I think the camp circuit for us in the summer was more about just meeting great people and then uh, just trying to learn as much as we could. And you definitely don't make a lot of money working camps, uh, but you do it because you wanna have a big impact on the kids. And I'll say just a shout out to my brother, Ben, like no matter what, no matter what camp we did, there was always free time to work on your game. And he would always find one or two kids to help them with something, whether the kid was on their team on his team or uh, on another team, he would always find some extra time to help a kid out. And I just think that is what it's all about, is just trying to pay it forward. Did you ever feel when you were doing the camps or coaching that you weren't able to give your voice in a way? Or were those coaches able to ask for your thoughts and they were able to implement those ideas? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think camps allowed us to have a voice. Uh, whereas in college, being an assistant coach, you're, you have a voice, but it doesn't, I don't think, have as much weight to the players because you're not controlling the playing time. Uh, in a camp uh, setting, you use, honestly, I think it's mostly just like a quarter ends and then a team gets to play. So you're not really controlling subs either, but you're the one who gets to meet with the team during timeouts and after the game. And so I would say my, my favorite camp uh, was Syracuse basketball camp because there's 100 kids in each uh, division, and I was coaching the eighth and ninth graders. And basically they do a two hour tryout where they're doing a bunch of drills and then they go eat dinner and then they come back for two more hours and every kid has a, a number on their shirt. So one through a hundred, you make your, on your notebook, you write down all the numbers. 
And for me, uh, I call them the checkmark kids. And the current manager at Syracuse, he and I joke about this all the time. But to me, a checkmark kid are just like the hustle guy. So in that tryout, if a kid is going full speed and misses a layup like really bad off the backboard, but he had a lot of speed, I give that kid a checkmark where most coaches would probably cross that kid off. And the reason I do that is because maybe nobody took 10 minutes to teach that kid how to make a layup. And I have confidence. I could teach that kid how to make a layup. I can't teach him to be fast, but I can, I can work through the fundamentals of, of a layup. Um, so that kid would get a check mark. If uh, a teammate on their team fell over and they helped him up, I'd give that kid a check mark. Cause that says a lot about their character. Kind of like you and I talked about with Derek Jeter and Kemba, like they're, you can just tell they were good teammates and good guys. So, um, if a kid boxed out consistently, I'd check mark or talked on defense, check mark. So I'd get 10 kids and um, I would, you draft them at nighttime. So I would draft any kid that had the most check marks. And just those kids like were such good kids. And once I kind of helped them create that environment where I tell them, I'm never going to yell at you for missing a shot. Um, the only thing I expect is for you guys to respect each other and just to give me a, your, your best effort and attitude. And uh, that's something you can do. You can respect your teammates and you can just, you know, have a great attitude. And um, I think that was for me being able to have my voice and instill confidence and encourage them uh, created a, a great environment for them to just to just play and have fun. And I think the best compliment I got um, a few times was after like the first day was uh, a kid saying, hey, coach, I know it's only been like 48 hours, but it feels like we've been playing with each other for months. And for me, like that was like, the best compliment I could get just because we would eat lunch together. And a lot of them are like, well, coach, my friends, like they're at camp with me. I'm like, bring your friends too. And then Ben's team, like he'd bring his kids. We had a huge table. We'd, you know how it is in the dining halls. You can push as many tables as you want together. And we're really big on uh, including everyone. So it wasn't even just kids on our team, but we'd ask them funny questions and, and ask them about their, their lives outside of basketball and doing little things like that, I think really added to that team morale. So, um, I would say, you know, just going back to the original question, like having a voice, I think that was the coolest part for me was just being able to kind of be a leader. And um, like I said, experience that with Ben as well, just bringing his team together. And we had a lot of fun doing, doing that camp. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I think it shows the leader in you where when you're doing those camps and you're doing the check marks, you, you could draft the people that were hitting the threes all the time, hitting every point. But you looked at the character in the person and you're looking at how can I help this player that maybe maybe need a little bit more guidance and the reaction that you were getting and how they were so excited and so happy. I think that just shows a lot in you as a person and how you are able to look at any person and they're able to be able to coach them. You weren't looking for, oh, I have the best players. You were looking at how many people can I help grow as a player? And that skill set will show those kids and they'll take that when they grow up and they'll be able to do that same exact thing. It's almost like a domino effect in a way. Yeah, that, you said that perfectly. And thank you for the kind words. I think for me, just having had great coaches and thinking about how I would want to be coached as a kid. Um, I think that's kind of what I try to do uh, with the kids I get to coach, but you put that very well. So thank you. What's your greatest achievement in coaching? Mm, greatest achievement or like a memorable moment that you have yeah so kind of going off the the answer I just uh mentioned with the team I coached at the Ben and I coached at the Philadelphia 76ers camp and 
same type of thing. But we had kid, I had two kids from Iceland, uh, a kid from Puerto Rico, a kid from Spain, and then six kids from the United States all over. And we were able to get that group. And we didn't win a lot at first. I think we lost the first three games. But something that I wrote in my book is called the accountability circle, which is uh, a time after every game you meet with the team. And I would sit down and we'd be in a circle so you can make eye contact. And I would say, hey, like, what did we do well today? And I'd let anybody speak up. And when they would say something, I'd write it down. And then after that, I would say, what can we do better? And they would speak up and I would write that down as well. And then we'd go around. And I would say, Alex, like, what could you do better, uh, you know, moving forward? And you could say, hey, coach, I took some bad shots today. Um, you know, I think I need to do that better moving forward. So you were just vulnerable in front of the group. You said how you kind of let us down a little bit, but you acknowledged it, which is, you know, for eighth and ninth graders, that's a tough thing to do. Um, but they, you know, we created a safe environment where they were able to open up. And so I would write down, you know, Alex and, um, you know, whatever you said. And we do that for every kid. Uh, in the group so after every game we did that and I think the best thing about that was they said a lot of the same things I would have said but it meant a lot more to them and their teammates coming from from their brains and their mouth so it was just so cool because if, if every kid says one thing okay so now the three kids just said boxing out two kids said shot selection and then next time they do that um, it just builds a, a team that can can focus on what can we control every single time. And that's what it was all about, just controlling the controllables and uh, giving your best effort for your teammates. And uh, I think with that group, that same type of thing where somebody said, it feels like we've been playing with each other for months. And that was crazy to me because we were kids from Iceland and Spain and Puerto Rico and America, and they came together so quick and we ended up winning the championship that year. And, um, there's only four teams, so it sounds a lot cooler than it was. I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna try to hype myself up. There's only four teams in that league, but it was really cool. And um, I was still keep in contact with uh, one of the kids from that camp, and uh, I think that was a very uh, you know big personal achievement for me, just being able to get a group of diverse kids uh, to play together as a unit. And the last part of that is there was a really cool Iceland chant. Um, where they, or they do at soccer games and they stomp their left foot, their right foot, and they take both their hands over their head and they clap and they say, huh. And so that was our pregame ritual before every game. And at first, you know, I, I'm, I'm very corny when I try to do this stuff at the team building, but the kids love it. Cause like if coaches being, you know, a goofy guy over here, then we can kind of let our guard down and do the same thing. So then like the whole camp by our championship was doing the chant with us before the game and cheering us on. So um, I think that was a, a very, a bright uh, moment in my life with the coaching for sure. See, USA needs to get some better chance because you can look at any other country. I mean, I was watching Premier League soccer and I mean, you could, I mean, it's sound effects now, but even when they had people in the stadium, they're all chanting, going crazy. And I'm going to like a sporting event here in Missouri. And I'm like, where's the energy? Like yeah. people. Yeah, and I'm curious for you, like, talking about the fans, like, very limited now. So benches, like, the, I talk about the bench in my book as well. Like, that's very important. They call it the battle of the benches. But what do you think um, in terms of, like, there not being a lot of fans, like, in, in, in regards to teammates motivating each other during games? Like, basketball now, you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of teams with no fans there. Like, what, do you, what um, would you say is, like, the most important thing for them um, to be able to contribute to their team when they're on the court? I think when the sporting events were happening and there was completely no fans before NFL started having like the 25%, 
I think it shows the importance on the team, the teamwork in a way, and how each each of them can pump each other up in a way. Because you can't rely on the fans to get your energy going or get the playtime going. And I think, I mean, especially one sport, the USC, where you can't hear your coaches speak at all because the fans are going so uh, crazy. But it kind of shows what are you doing in that moment? And you kind of see these players at that time in a vulnerable stage. And now we see their true identity and how their skills are. Now with like the 25% rule and a lot of sports are getting people back in, I think you now can see even more energy from the players, but it's a more of a confidence boost because if they're winning, they know, well, is it the fans or is it us as a team that are doing it? And I think now with sports, I think it, you're seeing a lot more that I think as a fan you never saw before. And I think that's the best part. Not saying the pandemic was the great, a great thing to find that out, but you it's a way of like self-reflection. These players are now reflecting on, okay, we can't rely on fans to make loud noises so it distracts the other team. Now yeah. we have to truly play. And I know baseball is one of those is where fan well, basketball, when the player's at the free throw line and you have the craziness in the background. <laughs> I've seen videos, but when there's no fans or it's that electronic board, it's now it's like, okay, they're focused now. So we have to not rely on them making a mistake. We have to go out there and really play at our top level. That was an awesome response. And I think that it's great. Like you don't have the crazy people behind the back. <laughs> So, so your game, you got to really step up your game on the court because they're probably going to make more free throws than they, you know, than they would in a, a regular setting. So that's a good point. It's basically you have to treat yourself like you're in a video game. That crowd ain't going to distract you. <laughs> you can barely hear them. But now it's like, let's go. Let's see what's next. Yeah. What team, like you talked about the colleges and the teams that you've done camps. Is there a team that you wish you had the opportunity to coach for or be a part of their camps? I would say this is a biased answer, but Tufts, <laughs> Tufts University in, uh, in Boston, I'm not sure if you've heard of Tufts, um, but they were, the, they were the number one Division Three women's basketball team in the country for, uh, I don't know exactly, but I think it was like 12 weeks, and they ended up losing their first game of the year in their conference championship uh, to a really good team. So they got the number two seed moving into the D3 tournament. But one of my best friend's uh, sister, she was uh, Division Three Player of the Year this year at uh, Tufts. And she's one of the best teammates I've ever watched. She's a competitor. And, uh, you know, her and her brother would wake up at 5, 6 a.m. during the summers to just work on their game. So I just showed how committed she was, but also their relationship and how close they were. And so I've cheered them on for four years. So just being able to be a sponge and a fly on the wall, a part of that program uh, would be amazing. And unfortunately, their season was cut short um, because of COVID, but they were moving on to the Sweet 16. And uh, I really think they had a good shot at winning the championship. But um, if you watch those, those ladies play, like they, they didn't care who scored. They just wanted to score. And they didn't care who got the stop. They just wanted to get a stop. And uh, their culture is one of the best. So if anybody's listening and wants to, you know, watch them next time they step on the court, whenever that is, like, they, they huddle up during uh, shooting fouls. They help each other up off the ground. 
their bench runs out to them after a timeout is called. Um, they point to each other after a, a, a player makes the shot from a good assist. And uh, I just think it's beautiful basketball. And a lot of the, the character things that you talk about, they recruit those things. And Coach Jill Pace, this was her first year, and she did an awesome job with that group. So if I could pick a place to coach, it would be Tufts uh, University for sure with the women's team. Is there a certain age range that you enjoy coaching? Or do you find a certain age range challenging also? I think the eighth and ninth graders I've had a lot of experience with. I think it's a very transformational age, um, you know, for, I think, a very insecure age as well. So if you can get a group and instill confidence in them and just boost them up um, and praise them for doing little things that – but the behaviors that you know as a coach will help the team win. Like for me in college, like I was a small defender, so my job was to basically – Play, like say you're the other team's best player, Alex, I would face guard you and I, I'd have to worry about the ball on defense, just chase you around and basically play tag. So I, I enjoyed that. So any kid can pretty much do that um, or, or some type of thing like that. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe they're not the fastest kid, but they can, can they can set a lot of screens or, or something like that. So there's ways to highlight people's strengths, even if they don't have a lot of them. Um, so I love that group. I would say the younger age, uh, I, I love working with any boy, girl, or, or older, you know, college level as well. Um, but I would say the younger kids are a little bit uh, tougher to, to get their attention. But they're also so fun because they don't, you know, for the younger kids, they don't mind running all around and, and playing where the older kids sometimes are like, oh, I got to go run and do this drill. Um, so I enjoy in all, all age groups. But um, I would say that middle school, early high school age is a, a fun one for sure. Especially they don't have no drama going on in their life. Like, they don't care, like, what's going on. I remember when I was coaching a sports camp, and I was kind of the, the, the director for it. These kids, they're like, let's just play games. I'm like, okay, so we're just going to have fun, enjoy the eight hours that we're here together. But I think it's definitely that age range. It's kind of like when you get the older kids, it's like you got to deal with, the mindset, their emotions, the physicality, and I think it kind of ruins the fun in a way, unless that's what that coach is wanting. But at the age range you mentioned, I think that's the starting mold into the characteristics of those kids, that you're able to set that foundation for them and it will take them a long way and towards the future. Yeah, and I think, and I talked about my philosophy a little bit, but obviously you, you've worked camps as well. Like, is there one or two things that you try to emphasize when talking with young kids in, in the sport context that's hopefully teaching them a life lesson? Definitely teamwork, because a sports team teamwork is the same way as a business teamwork. It's both the same way, different atmospheres, but if you can't do it on a sports team, you're definitely not going to be able to do it in a business world and from my experience with teamwork if it doesn't happen if it, you see the cake fall in a way yeah. cake, or the walls crumble in a way <laughs> and teamwork and then positive mindsets I think that also deals with the emotions and if they start thinking negatively the kids will get out of control or they'll just start going chaotic and they have to stay focused on what's at task at hand. And that is something I always looked at. What can they take from that situation, but they can use it in another situation. And I think that's for all of us in any situation is 
how are we able to take any skills that we've learned and put it in something else? Um, from my experience, from the things that I do at work, I can use those skills to what I do with the podcast. Some things are completely different, but it shows the growth that I have as an individual also. Yeah, I love the positive mindset. I big positive vibes guy. And I think for them having a coach or leader talk about positive mindset, like, yes, we might have lost, but we did this, this, and this well. I think that's really important as opposed to like, oh, we lost guys, especially at a camp. Um, you know, they're there to have fun. It's not about winning and losing. And, yeah. you know, some people might disagree with me, but at that younger age, you know, it's, there's a lot of positives and it is about having fun and making it a memorable experience. So that's great that you were teaching them that. Unless the kids are getting an ice cream party, if they win the whole camp, then they're going to be playing dirty, probably. <laughs> I want the ice cream, too. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm scheming up a little bit. I'm writing out a few plays. So as an entrepreneur, what made you want to start your leadership consulting company? I think having an impact on more people than just the 15 guys that I was coaching. Um, I love leadership. Like I mentioned earlier at, at Newberry College, I was a resident assistant, and that was a very diverse group of 12 or 14 uh, individuals. And we came together as a team and really had each other's back. So I think that's kind of where my love of team building came from. And then I, my, my mission had been to be a head coach. So that's why I was gathering information for eight years. And then I decided to transition out of it. So I actually wrote a book called Help Them Up. Um, and we just came out uh, a little while ago and those were all my, you know, quote unquote secrets that I was going to use for my own team. But I just felt like there were things that required no talent at all. But if coaches took them and implemented them, it would make for a, a very enjoyable experience. But I think the scoreboard would, would reflect in a positive way for them as well. So the book is kind of my professional, uh, I would say business card for what I want to do. And I actually had a Zoom call yesterday with a, a team in Wisconsin, a boys high school team, and talked about a few of the principles that the coach asked me to emphasize. And then on Tuesday, I'm talking to a division two women's team in Michigan um, via Zoom to talk about some of the principles as well. So it's been really cool to connect with a lot of different people and, and uh, hopefully have a bigger impact on them uh, with my leadership consulting uh, company. Would you say your background with networking has helped you with your business and being able to speak with all these different teams? Yeah, I think as we kind of alluded to in the beginning, like reaching out to somebody saying, hey, can I talk to your team without knowing them probably won't happen. Um, but I think when I wrote the book and I reached out to about 300 people that I have met over the years from all those camps, um, not reach out to everybody, but the people that I really resonated with and this was eight years of research. And so um, reaching out to all those people that I would just check in for during Thanksgiving or holidays or call them after their season or send a quick text when I, when I think about somebody. I mean, a lot of random things you'll see, like maybe I'll see a, a license plate that says Washington, like the state of Washington, one of my good friends, Julia lives in Washington. So I'm like, hey, just saw this license plate, thought of you and just check in with them. So I think, you know, checking in with people when you don't want anything, you're just trying to say hi and um, is really important. And all those relationships, I think, really did have a, a positive impact on kind of getting the book out there and then just promoting my business. Um, and the team I'm talking to on Tuesday is a coach I met about a year ago at a NCAA Coaches Academy. And she was very 
positive and smiley. And I was like, I just want to learn more from her. And then I reached out and she was all for working with her team. So um, I think, uh, you know, I, I've met some really good people and, and honored to be able to talk to their team, which is so important to them. I think networking is the biggest thing people can do right now. And it's another set of eyes and another set of ears that can hear your story or something that you're doing. And I think with LinkedIn, a lot of people look at it, they kind of look at your title and stuff and they're like, no, ignore. And I think you should be able to accept everyone because you never know what can happen in the future. You may learn something from that person you never thought you would. And I think we both have that same idea of learning any second we can't. If we're able to learn something, we grow as individuals because no one on this earth is 100% perfect. Yeah. There's always room to grow. And I've heard people say, oh, I, I know everything. Really? No, you don't yeah. know everything. I mean, unless you're good at trivia, but you're not good at trivia, <laughs> not good at trivia either. Um, but I'm always a person that, how can I improve my skill set? And from my experience, someone told me, I can't do this. Well, I'm going to show you I can do this. I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's what helps me, especially as a background as a sports management major. I'm looking at any sector of sports and saying, what do I know? What do I need to work on? And I'm going to attack those working on things. And then over time, when sports are back up and eventually job, jobs are opening, that's what I'm going to look to be able to show. And I think what you're doing and with the book, I think it's great because those tools that you're giving for teams and stuff, I think you can definitely use those outside of the court also. And that's the important thing is being able to do it anyway. Yeah. And I like what you said about just networking right now when everybody has their phone and laptop in front of them. Um, I had some really great people um, write testimonials for my book that, I, that were on my list as the long shots. And my two long shots said yes uh, because of the relationship I'd built with them over the, the years. But I, they're usually very busy. It was the Yale men's coach, um, Coach Jones, and then the Florida State University women's coach. Uh, who's the interim head coach right now, Brooke Wyckoff, and she's just an amazing leader in person. But they're both very busy at a high level of basketball, and they both were like, yeah. And so it took them a few weeks to get it done, but they did, and that was really cool to me. So I second what you said about reaching out to people right now because they have their phone on them, they have their laptop. They might not respond the first time. They might not respond in a week later the second time. But maybe that third time they will, and then after that I'd probably stop. But, uh, you know, <laughs> But, you know, third time can be the charm. I think, you know, pace it out by a week or so. Um, and maybe two or three times, whatever you're comfortable with. But people are busy, so I wouldn't say give up. Because like you and I talked about, the worst thing they can say is no. But that goes back to the persistence. And it not it a great feeling when that long shot says yes? Or for me, that guest that I've looked up to and they said yes. And then I take that episode. I'm like, did this just happen? Like, it's the greatest experience ever. And that is a huge confidence boost because you know that you are doing something great and it's making an impact on the people that you looked up to or the people that you inspire are inspired by. Yeah, no, it's great. And once, like you said, once you see one and, and like you get them on your show or whatever it may be, or I get a, a phone call back, like that's, that's, it really is a confidence booster and you can build off of that. What's been the hardest thing that you faced with owning your own business? 
I would say, well, to start it was a little bit tough getting the LLC, but my teammate from Newberry and best friend DeRay, he and his family have a salon. So he walked me through it and it wasn't easy, but uh, we got all the paperwork done together and called him a lot. So big shout out to him. And then I think now it's like, I'm a big in in person. Um, like, so I want to be in person with people like zoom is fine and, and FaceTime, but I'd rather be able to give you a high five, give you a hug and dance. You know, like I, I'm just, a, I try to be a happy, positive person. So it's tough to not be able to go out and work with some teams. So I would say that's the a tough part is just not being able to really go out right now in front of, of groups of people. And, um, and no way am I coming into a team thinking I know it all. Like we talked about, like, I just want to be a small piece of the puzzle and help out, um, you know, maybe that you have struggling with communication or accountability. And if I can offer some different ways of thinking about it or provide some tools, then I think that could really add value to a team kind of getting to that next level that they're trying to get from hiring me. So um, I know I'm hoping things get back to a little bit more normal uh, in the coming months and I could, uh, you know, get out there and, and hopefully help some, some teams and companies. Looking back at your career and the things that you've done, is there anything that you would have done differently to get a different outcome? Or are you happy, like we said, everything happens for a reasoning and you're happy with the path that you've taken? I, I'm definitely happy with the path I've taken. I, I have a big uh, silver lining mentality that I've gotten from my, my parents and my family and friends. Just try to find the positive in every situation and I learned a lot from losing a lot of games in college. Um, you know, a lot probably probably could have learned what I learned and, and losing less games, but I learned a lot. And, you know, I think with everything, like reaching out to people to try to connect with and learning from them, um, I've been able to kind of have that growth mindset where if I was, I was passionate about learning about teams and basketball and I reached out to professionals in that and uh, learned a lot. So even though I didn't go to a Syracuse, like my brother, go to our state school at UConn, um, I was able to kind of bridge that gap by just being persistent and using my free time to talk to people that I, I looked up to and wanted to learn from. So definitely no regrets um, and, uh, and yeah, just happy with all the people I've met uh, over the years for sure. Looking towards the future, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years personally and professionally? It's a very good question. <laughs> so personally, I would say just continue to try to, to make somebody's day and keep those connections with my, my close friends and my network. Just I need to know that I'm thinking about them, that I care about them. Because when, you know, when my friends and family do well, I feel like I'm succeeding as well. So if I can send them a, a quote or, or post something or give them a phone call that makes them feel a little bit good about themselves and encourages them, because, you know, we're all going through tough times. It's not always easy to be positive. And my sweatshirt right now says choose joy. Um, so, you know, I like to flood my environment with positive stuff because when you're, if you're scrolling on social media and there's a lot of negativity, you know, I think that's not good for your headspace. And so I try to follow a lot of positive people and, and not waste my time doing that. So personally, um, just keep being a, a good friend and, and family member to, to my loved ones. And then professionally, I just hope to, to work with some great sports teams, not just basketball. I have a call with a lacrosse team coming up as well. So any sports team and then company that wants to improve with their leadership, I hope to get some clients that value the same things that I value, but also want to 
outside perspective because sometimes teams just need another voice to emphasize what they're saying. Um, maybe the foundation is good, but they just need so you know because coaches they talk so much that the the voice isn't as meaningful over a long period of time sometimes. So having a, a fresh voice come in and work with them, I think is helpful. So um, just excited for the opportunity to, to meet some some great teams and people over the next few years. And I'm curious for you as well, like, you know, you obviously have some movement with your job. Uh, so what does that look like for you in the next few years personally and professionally? So I am always looking at how can I build a resume in a way and get to that end goal, which is I want to be in sports and my company knows that and we're doing any tools that I can get to learn and stuff. So my goal is to take this opportunity that I'm given and excel at it at the best rate as I can. But, and also with the whole, I do the podcast, I'm hoping to grow it even more. Keep finding new backgrounds, experiences, industries that I have not covered yet and be able to share those journeys. And that's the huge thing that kind of stands me out is I'm not focused on one set. And I always tell people, tell me a little bit about your story. Like I, we did with, with you. And when you explain it to me, I'm able to be like, yes. I always give every guest the opportunity. Even the ones that tell me they're trying to pitch me something. I'm like, okay, well tell me, how did you get to where you are today? because that's what I want to hear. We can talk about what you're doing now, but I want to know what was the legwork to getting there. And I always try to use my story as a way to help motivate people. I think inspiring everyone, motivate, inspire, those are the key things that we can do right now during this time. So I always take the challenges that we're facing and say, we're going to get through it. This is what we're going to do. So I'm, I'm one of those people that I have a list of stuff, but half the stuff can't happen because we're not able to do those things. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's one of those time frames where it's self-reflection. You're able to take a step back and say, what do you want to do now? Can't stop. You got to go do it. This is the perfect timing. If you say no, you're going to regret not doing it in the future. Yeah, no, it's, it's very well said. And like you said, now is a great time, you know, to, to go after what you want. It really is. So I think with the podcast and what you're doing and the diverse guests you have on is really painting a great picture of, um, you know, a way for everybody to relate to somebody in some way. Definitely. Everyone has a story. I think that one thing that you can write a, like a bio, but that only gives me the surface. When you actually speak to that person, you can dive a lot deeper and you can get the true meaning of their journey. And I think that's the best part. And that's why I do these conversations because I could write a bio. It might sound boring to someone, but let me go in depth and I will, you'll be like, wow. Okay. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give someone that's listening to this interview to accomplish their goals overcome obstacles and rise to the challenge advice to rise to the challenge which is an awesome name for a podcast um, i would say i try to live my life with the quote nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care so just understanding that you should always approach every situation with you know listening first active listening not just you know, not just saying yes or agreeing with somebody, but really listen to what they're saying, 
not saying you have to agree with everything, but I think people want you want to know that you know for as a basketball coach, I want you to be a very good player for our team because that makes me look good as a coach, makes you look good being on a winning team. But I need to know like how's your family life, how are you in school, and um, I think just approaching everything with with some care and love, I think can go a really long way. And again, kids can and kids and just people in general, you know, adults too, they can tell when you you genuinely care. Um, so I think that's really important. I would say one of the best moves that I've done is just surround myself with you know, positive people, my uh, four close friends, we have a group chat going and we make a lot of jokes in it, but we also post us, you know, doing our workouts, whether it's like a 10 second push up video, just, it's not like, Hey, look at me. We're not posting that all over social media, but it's just like, Hey, like, you know, Bilal is doing his pushups right now or Prince is doing his, his sit-ups. So it's like, I got to do mine too. So we motivate each other. So just having those great people in my life make me uh, really appreciate just uh, the, the, my journey so far, like we talked about. Um, and then the last one, I'll just say time is precious. Um, you know, I think everybody's probably had somebody they lost or know, know somebody that passed away and that's a very tough thing. Um, so just investing your time into things you really care about and the people you care about would probably be the most important thing uh, for me and advice that I could give to someone. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your Rise to the Challenge. You inspire so many people, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Well, thank you, Alex. You know, this was a very fun for me, and I really enjoyed your insights, and I'm just excited to follow your journey and your continued Rise to the Challenge, because I know you're, you're going to step up and, and meet it head on. So um, thank you again for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you follow and subscribe our YouTube channel to the full episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goal? You decide.